This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One more episode of the show before the show podcast before the trade deadline. We are at crunch time on the uh, the trade hot take calendar. Get get pumped. We got takes galore coming up for you. <laughs> yeah, takes just go to galore. any any type of message board ever. Message board still exists. Uh, I say that. I think it's just Twitter now. I think it's just everybody yelling on Twitter. Right, that's true. Just the amount of trade rumors that other team or you know fans of other teams want to make. There's like, yeah, we have all these spare parts. Definitely, teams will want these for their number two yeah. starting pitcher. Right, that's how that works. It's yeah. like, oh, dude. And it's always a dude. Uh, no, dude, that's not like you have to. It has to hurt on both sides. For Why doesn't my favorite team trade these bad players for this other and team's good players? Good player. Yeah. Why wouldn't we just do that? <laughs> Seems like a smart plan. That's the that's the thought process of every uh, <laughs> of every baseball fan going, which, you know, if if the world worked that way, it'd be a good thought process. I guess. It would be. It would be. This is a topic we can say for another day, too. But I feel like there are fewer and fewer lopsided trades anymore. Yeah. That does seem to be the case, which also seems to lend itself to very few win-win trades and just a lot more like lose-lose to mediocre-mediocre trades. I feel like there's we see so many of those. Every once in a while, you'll get a trade where it's just like, wow, that worked out great for both sides. But a lot of times, it's just like, oh, really? Nothing came out of that on either end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Makes sense. It's not an easy thing to do. Trades are not easy to execute. Yeah, no, they're not. And, and trying to figure out you know especially with rentals now i feel like that's a that's a big thing and we'll get into that in a little bit but uh you know trying to justify trading a prospect who could be you know under team control for five six years whatever uh for two months of a major leaguer how do you balance that how do you kind of figure that it feels like the market's kind of settling in on how that uh, that all works but um yeah it's it it was a rocky road there for a while and i think we've kind of locked into it now And with that, we'll talk about some of it coming up here in just a moment. It's episode number 170 of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City, and we're talking all things minor league baseball as we approach the July 31st Major League Baseball trade deadline, which has already gotten a lot of moves uh, up and on legs and underway and some already completed. And uh, it's going to be an interesting next six days. We're recording this on the 25th. uh, So we'll keep you updated at MILB.com of all of the goings on of trade deadline time. Sam's got some tool shed stuff up already looking back on the 2017 deadline and what systems could be most reshaped in 2018 and uh we've already got a couple of those so far and we will dive into those here momentarily but thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the show before the show uh wherever you found us at milb.com slash podcast or on apple Podcasts or google play or anywhere else give us a rating and a review and a subscription and uh get in touch with the show if you would like podcast at milb.com is where you can find us and uh send us your questions your thoughts your comments your concerns your queries about what your team is doing at the trade deadline if you don't understand um because a lot of times the plan is not very clear based on what teams do at the trade deadline because it's all part of a larger picture and sometimes you'll look back five years later and go oh okay i kind of get what the point of that trade was and uh, maybe we'll see some of those over the next week uh, but for now we've already got some big ones to talk about and we're going to dive in with strike one this week to talk about the biggest one which of course sam and i talked last wednesday on uh the the day of was it wednesday or thursday i already forgot now you do it on Wednesday last week? When did we come out last week? I don't remember. I don't remember either. It was Sorry. a tra- It was the. It was the the All Star break, Major League Baseball. The dead. The, the All Star game was on Tuesday, so it was Wednesday because we recorded, and we were not able to talk about 
the Manny Machado from Baltimore to Los Angeles trade. And we discussed how undoubtedly the trade would become official within the hours of when we recorded to when the show was posted and we recorded and it was official like 90 minutes later. Um, so <laughs> that trade done. And even though it's now six, seven days old, uh, we have to talk about it. Manny Machado moves over to the Los Angeles Dodgers where he plays shortstop for like three days. And then Justin Turner gets hurt and now he has to move over to third base. Um, but uh, that team, obviously the major league level kind of gets itself back to where you thought the Dodgers were going to be at the beginning of the season before they lost Corey Seager and now they've replaced an all-world everything shortstop with another all-world everything left side of the infield guy Manny Machado Uh, but we're not so much interested in that deal what we are interested in is the deal that goes the other way as part of that trade a five prospect package goes from the los angeles dodgers to the baltimore orioles headlined by Yusniel diaz uh this deal sam you kind of knew the orioles were gonna have to hit big and get a sizable and solid chunk of prospects back however you're trading away a rental so you're not gonna have the same leverage as maybe if you would have traded manny machado over the offseason but it seems like the orioles came back with a pretty good haul um just how much does this reshape that system how much better is that system now after the trade yeah so let's combine that also with the trade that happened thankfully before this podcast recorded which was the zach Britton trade uh that went down tuesday night um zach Britton goes to the yankees coming back to the baltimore orioles uh dylan tate cody carroll and josh rogers uh dylan tate now the number four prospect in that Orioles system cody carroll is number 15 um so you know, this was a Orioles system that had a lot of risk to it, didn't have tremendous upside. I mean, last year we looked at it. Austin Hayes was a breakout star for them last year, climbing all the way to, to the majors at the end of the year. He's dealt with injuries this year, wasn't really good at double-A buoy before that. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle is looking more and more like an established, you know, slugger. Uh, he, he's 21 right now. He was at the Futures game. Uh, he's up at Double A Bowie right now, uh, hitting 316 with 11 homers, putting together some solid numbers there. But you know, this was a system that was pretty bereft of pitching. Uh, you know, you could say what you will about Hunter Harvey and how he has really good upside and a high ceiling, but at the same time, he's really struggled to stay healthy. He's only thrown 32 and a third innings this season. Uh, this system needed more arms. Uh, and it kind of got that in the, the Britain trade. I, I thought maybe, you know, w- with the trade with the Dodgers, they were going to go after somebody, uh, you know, other than using the LDS. Dustin May's name got thrown around a little bit. Maybe somebody like Mitch White. Uh, again, you know, really good caliber arms they end up getting diaz uh who has a chance to be a real five tool player uh you know i feel like the dodgers were selling pretty high on on diaz uh not just coming off his two homer game at the futures game but you know he's been better this year at double a tulsa than he's been pretty much at any other level uh you know he's hitting 314 with a 428 obp and a 905 ops showing some good power uh, a good amount of speed as well uh this reminded me a lot of the u darvish trade last year between the cubs or not the cubs excuse me between the dodgers and the rangers in which the dodgers you know there was the potential that Alex Verdugo could be on the table, maybe somebody like Walker Bueller. They end up letting go of Willie Calhoun, who was at the time one of the best hitters in the PCL. Uh, so the Dodgers really know when to sell high on these guys. Uh, you know, Diaz put him in that mix with Mountcastle and Hayes. Uh, they have some pretty strong right-handed hitting, at least at the top of the system now. Um, but that pitching really needed to come in the form of Dylan Tate, who the Yankees are also kind of selling high on. Uh, when he was drafted fourth overall by the Rangers, the Rangers started messing with his mechanics things got a little off uh he gets traded to the the yankees the yankees tell him just go back to what you were at uc santa barbara uh his velocity started to come back it was in the lower 90s he's starting to show an above average breaking ball and above average changeup. uh had a really strong season this year double a trenton 3.38 era 75 strikeouts and 82 and two-thirds innings is that you know the caliber of a fourth overall pick maybe not so much um but you know, does he become the most exciting pitcher in that O system? Yes. Now, you know, between those two trades, you've got Tate, Carroll, Diaz, Dean Kramer, who was another pitcher I really like uh, and who I feel like really built himself up in that Dodger system, and Ryland Bannon. Those are five new top 20 prospects in the O system. Uh, these rankings will be updated later, you know, I think just in the next few weeks by MLB.com and MLB Pipeline. Um, but to add 
you know, five prospects who are now in your top 20 is how a rebuild kind of starts. Uh, is there enough talent here to declare this a full rebuild? No, they're not at nearly at the Padres level. They're not nearly at the White Sox level or at the Yankees level before, you know, they graduated Miguel Andujar and Glaber Torres and, and all that, those guys. Um, and, and I don't know exactly where the Orioles go from here. I mean, Machado was the biggest chip they had in their in their stack really uh britain kind of the same way especially after he got healthy uh do they trade somebody like dylan bundy somebody like kevin gaussman uh then they're really punting the football down the field if they do that you know really giving up controllable assets uh, and saying we're not going to be competing in the next two years that's how they would really have to to kick start this rebuild um but for the time being you know i feel much better about the o system now than i did when we recorded last week the uh, trades inside the American League East, we'll toss this in as sort of a foul ball, uh, even though it just happened today. Um, the the Orioles and the Yankees obviously making a deal. The Tampa Bay Rays have acquired prospect Jalen Beeks from the Boston Red Sox in exchange for left-hander, or in exchange for uh, Nathan Evaldi, uh, the lefty Beeks so far this season in the International League, second with a 1.09 whip, uh, 15th-ranked prospect in the Boston system before the trade kind of interesting um these deals going down in the division but uh this one not the uh, a blockbuster but the rays pull in an interesting pitching prospect in a system that is utilizing its prospects and its talent at the major league level in interesting ways pitching wise yeah so uh jalen beaks was one of my favorite pitchers at triple a this year not necessarily dominant stuff uh and not you know overbearing at five foot eleven, but he was leading all of Triple A with a thirty three percent strikeout rate, uh, and also was the leader in FIP. So you know the, he was ticking all the boxes. He just hadn't quite shown it in the majors yet. Uh, he had a twelve point seven nine ERA in the two times the Red Sox called him up. Um, but you know he, you add him to that Rays mix, and again, like we were saying at the top of the show, you know. For the Red Sox, this is getting two months of, of Nathan Evaldi, uh, but they're letting go of a guy who they, they kept wanting to crack the rotation. I mean, Beeks is or Evaldi is essentially taking the spot that they wanted Beeks to take, uh, and that hasn't happened yet. Uh, you know, Beeks ha- has really improved his cutter the last couple of years. That's what's leading to the strikeouts at the AAA level. Is that going to translate into the majors? We don't know yet. Um, but worst comes to worst, he could be a long man reliever, and you know, Tampa Bay is one of the most experimental experimental teams right now when it if not the most experimental team when it comes to utilizing pitchers for multiple innings out of the pen and, and not necessarily sticking to a traditional one through five starter role uh so i'll be really interested to see how they use him it sounds like they're going to bring him straight to the majors kind of let that figure out but uh yeah kind of interesting to see I, you, you said before you don't see really see mutually beneficial trades anymore. I feel like this could be one. Uh, the Red Sox are trying to push for a World Series. They have baseball's best record right now. They need as many hands on deck as they can get. Uh, they can't really carry beaks and kind of hope for the best. Uh, the Rays can do that. So I think both sides kind of get something that they, they needed here. We continue along the trade deadline trail, and uh, we've got strike two this week, which also involves a deal. The San Diego Padres continue to stock up on prospect talent. They now own a full 10% of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Contracts for those guys now under the uh, control of the San Diego Padres organization as they sent Brad Hand and Adam Simber to Cleveland in exchange for the 15th ranked overall prospect and all baseball Francisco Mejia uh, the catcher formerly of the Cleveland organization and um that system right now is as loaded as we have seen a system. I mean, you think about the, what the Astros built, what the Cubs built, what the Royals built. The Padres kind of feel like they're on that track right now. What does that trade mean for both the Padres and for Francisco Mejia? And do you think Cleveland overpaid at all to get those guys, Sam? Um, well, that's the thing is that what are, what are the Indians trying to be right now? Uh, you know, the Indians are two years removed at this point from – playing in a World Series, being one win away from a World Series. And what is their be- biggest weakness? It's in the bullpen. Um, they're pretty strong elsewhere. They you know, they have some question marks in the outfield. I get that. But uh, I think at the time of the trade, they had the second worst bullpen ERA in baseball. Uh, so they pick up Brad Hand, an established all-star closer. They pick up Adam Simber, who's kind of got a wa- funky sidearm delivery but has been pretty effective and you know it wouldn't become a free agent at this point until 2024 uh and it was like i was saying earlier you know you make trades for these guys it's it's gotta hurt it's going to hurt and you know the padres 
put Brad Hand on the market, it was pretty well established that they were willing to let go of him, uh, the, despite the fact that he, too, is basically under team control until 2021. Uh, but the fact that they were able to get a top 20 overall prospect back for two relievers is pretty astonishing. Um, you know, what does he add to the Padre system? Well, he adds a catching prospect that they didn't really have. Uh, you know, the Indians were trying to play him all around. They got him at time at third base during the fall league last year. Uh, they got him time in the outfield this time uh, at, with AAA Columbus. I would like to see him stick behind the plate. Yes, he has some question marks about his receiving, uh, but the arm is pretty well elite. You pair him up with Austin Hedges, that's an incredible catching tandem. Uh, Pretty much the way the game is right now anyways is that you rely on catching tandems. Austin Hedges is a very, very good defensive catcher. Some questions about the bat. Francisco Mejia is a very, very good hitting catcher. Some questions about the glove. Put those two together. They'll be pretty much set for the long-term future there in San Diego. Uh, do I feel like Cleveland overpaid a little bit? I mean, I, I would have loved to have seen what the nego negotiations were. Uh, you know, like I said, Mejia didn't really have a place in Cleveland. Jan Gomez has, has really taken over there uh, behind the plate. And, uh, you know, with the question marks that he did have because of his glove, they didn't seem really willing to stick him there. I don't think he's necessarily a future outfielder. Uh, yeah, you can make it work because the bat's going to play pretty much anywhere. But uh, I would really like to see him stick behind the plate. Um, so, you know, in a way, this was kind of, Mejia was kind of a, a spare part in a way. Uh, but to give up, you know, two or to give up somebody of his caliber, uh, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen somebody a little bit more than just controllable relievers. But that's the way that the market works right now. Uh, you know, control is kind of king. You know, how long can can we keep you? How long can we make you affordable? And we'll make it work from there. Uh, you know, adding Brad Hand, Andrew Miller is going to be healthy pretty soon uh, having those two guys out of the bullpen is going to be huge and then Adam Simber potentially you know being righty on righty matchups is going to be very big um, so you know the, the Padres get exactly what they wanted they you know they like you said Tyler had 10 top 100 prospects now which is insane uh, it, it didn't even really hit me until you put it that way even though it's basic math that 10 percent of the MLB.com's top 100 prospects right now are all in the same system uh, that's absolutely mind-blowing. And, you know, but it's, it goes beyond just that. I mean, look at the amount of these guys that are at double-A or higher right now. Fernando Tatis Jr., he's at double-A. Uh, Mejia's right now at triple-A El Paso. Luis Arias is at triple-A El Paso. Cal Quantrill's at double-A. Uh, Chris Paddock just got moved up to double-A. Logan Allen probably should be at triple-A at this point because he leads the Texas League in ERA. Uh, you know, they signed Eric Hosmer because they thought they could turn this around pretty quick. You know, yeah, maybe the first year or two was going to be down, but the rest of that contract, they were pretty uh, confident that they could be a contender in the NL West. With where all this talent is right now, pretty close to the majors, wouldn't be surprised to see them have kind of like a similar season to what the Braves or the Phillies are having right now in terms of, you know, the rebuild turning into wins quicker than we think. This is a crazy time of year for a whole lot of organizations because, uh, like we talked about last week, you kind of have to figure out if you're a buyer or a seller with not a whole lot of time between the all-star break and the trade deadline. We also already have seen uh, some other trades. The uh, New York Mets shipped out Juris Familia, who has gone to the Oakland Athletics. Uh, the A's, with the way they've been winning nonstop as of late, they now look like a team on the rise who is going to be uh, buying somewhat toward the deadline. The Texas Rangers apparently were uh, in conversations with teams about Cole Hamels. That could be a possibility over the next few days um, so we will see how these things play out as we get closer and closer to july 31st and uh, as we look back at july 31st of last year that brings us to strike three for this week's episode of the show before the show there were a lot of big deals at the trade deadline last year and uh, sam when you look back on 2017's moves at the deadline who stands out among the guys who have raised their stock the most over the last year obviously there were some huge huge names that moved organizations uh even just in that one trade the cubs and the white Sox, Aloy jimenez dylan cease um the new york yankees traded away dustin fowler and jorge mateo wrote a story about mateo last night who had four hits for triple a nashville um jesus luzardo went from the nationals to the a's last year uh, the the deals that were made a year ago 
were guys who seemed like maybe they were kind of far off and those guys have already pushed the envelope to where you're considering them as maybe even players who could make an impact in 2018 somebody like Jesus Lozardo probably unlikely but the way he's pitched maybe a possibility who over the last year seems like they've really bumped themselves up the most yeah so that Lozardo trade is really interesting one year out more so than I would say any other is and you know what we were saying before about Cleveland needing relief help well Washington was in that seat last year and they were able to find it in Sean Doolittle and Ryan Madsen and I think the way those two guys stabilized you know the back end of that Washington bullpen last year there really shouldn't be any complaints they're still with the Nationals Sean Doolittle was an all-star he's going through some injury problems now but in terms of filling the hole that the Nats needed that trade looks good on the other side at the time Jesus Luzardo you know had, you know, he was a 2016 third-round pick, uh, had only pitched in the AZL. Um, excuse me, he'd only put, pitched in the GCL, not the AZL. Uh, he had only made three starts in the GCL. People believed in his stuff, but everybody thought it was too far off. He really needed to prove his health. Now he's at A Midland uh, and is more than just proving his health. He's looking like the best left-handed pitching prospect in, in baseball. Um, so, you know, are the... The A's kicking, or are the Nats kicking themselves right now? Probably not too hard, uh, but it must have been a, a sight to see Luzardo start for the world team at the Futures game in Nationals Park and, and think about what could have been. The other one I want to bring up, because I feel like I honestly forgot about this trade until I was looking at the uh, what happened at last year at the deadline. Tony Watson went from the Pirates to the Dodgers, which, again, was just kind of like a bullpen help trade. Uh, who went the other way was O'Neill Cruz, who is somebody we haven't talked too much about, but is having a really, really strong season at Class A West Virginia. Uh, he's hitting 289 with an 830 OPS, 11 homers, 10 steals, pretty well-rounded package. What's fascinating about him is that he is a six foot six. Some places say he's six foot seven, shortstop, uh, which is crazy, and that never happens in today's game. But all the reports I'm hearing is that he is athletic enough, at least to play it at the lower levels. Uh, and he's become one of the better prospects in that Pirate system. So for somebody who's just kind of a throw-in, I would say he was a little bit more than throw-in, but uh, who was just traded for a left-handed reliever rental, uh, he's now become a bit of an oddity in today's game, somebody who I'm always checking in on, uh, both offensively and defensively, and a real asset to that Pirates organization. So some of these trades that you might hear coming up in the next few weeks and you think, oh, that's that's not much of anything. You know, it was a rental and, and – uh, no prospects really went the other way. Just waited out a year. Who knows what we could be saying about some of these guys at the same time, 2019. So that's three strikes for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. We're going to have a whole lot more to talk about over the next six days. Uh, by the time we record next week, the deadline will be behind us. So um, we'll get to break down everything that happens from now until the 31st. And uh, I'm certain that there will be some things that come along that surprise us as the uh, official dog of the show before the show podcast says hello like a, shaking her collar um, the uh, the deadline always seems to throw a couple of wrenches in toward uh, especially those last couple of days I mean last year it was like three minutes after the deadline passed and we finally got the Darvish traded tweet from Ken Rosenthal um, <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll see what happens between now and the 31st um, but for now that'll do it for this week's episode uh, strike three segment and uh, coming up we're gonna head to the Baltimore Orioles organization where we find the sixth ranked prospect in that system left-handed pitcher dl hall who is in the midst of a pretty good uh, first season in the south atlantic league with the delmarva shorebirds dl hall joins the show coming up next well joining us this week on the show before the show podcast is number six orioles prospect uh, dl hall currently in class a in the south atlantic league uh not unfortunately pitching today uh, Delmarva had its games against Hagerstown canceled, but uh, DL, how you doing? Uh, doing well. So, so kind of take us through this, what this was like. I think you were the scheduled pitcher for today, and then you come in, it, it's raining, it, game gets bumped like this. Uh, how much does a game like or something like this throw you off as a starting pitcher? Uh, you know, how does this affect your routine at least? Um, well, I was scheduled to start two days ago, and we got rained out that day. And then we got rained out again yesterday. And then we got another one today. So, you know, it's uh, three extra days. Um, <laughs> off the it's, uh, you know, it's a lot different, um, you know, trying to stay in the trying to stay in the rhythm of, uh, you know, trying to continue to pitch how it was and 
you know, hopefully it doesn't bother me too bad. But luckily, you know, we were we were lucky enough to uh, get on the field and throw a little bit, so I could at least go through a little bit of a routine. Um, so it wasn't too bad, and uh, we'll hopefully, you know, continue to to uh, stay in my rhythm. Yeah, and, and speaking of that rhythm, you are the two-time defending South Atlantic League Pitcher of the Week. Uh, you know, with all these kind of cancellations, you know, that that. How does that kind of throw you off? I mean, when you, you say you're trying to get back into a rhythm, uh, what kind of rhythm have you established this year? Because this is your first full season of minor league baseball. Uh, you know, I think uh, just, um, you know, later on in the seasons, I feel like, you know, it's with every pitcher that you you get into a rhythm of everything just flowing well, your mechanics, your arm, everything's just, you know, just kind of starting to fall into place, you know, when it gets to the middle of the season and, and towards the end, uh, you know, you get tired a little bit, but it's, uh, you know, I think it, it doesn't really hurt you too bad to have that, you know, tiredness because you have, uh, you know, you have such a rhythm going with all your, you know, just as far as mechanics and, and the mental part of it, you know, you just get rolling and, uh, you know, that's, you know, it's kind of tough and, you know, in the rain delays like this and the rain outs, we, uh, you know, it's, you have those extra days and you don't really know what to do, but you know, you just, you just try and, you know, get out on the field and, and do as much as you can on the, you know, when you're able to get out on the field and, and just try and, you know, keep yourself, you know, composed and, and, you know, keep the mental side strong and just, you know, believe that it's still going to be there when you finally do get to throw again. Yeah. And uh, speaking of what's made you so well, like you said, so much is kind of clicking into place. But in July right now, through three starts, you have 0.51 ERA. You've struck out 25 batters in 17 and two thirds innings. Uh, You know, as you've kind of gotten used to minor league baseball and what is usually, you know, pitching once a week and every fifth day and all that, uh, you know, how do you feel like you've grown? What what's how are you a different pitcher now than where you were back in April or even back a year ago from now um you know i think i think the biggest thing is just uh is i think you know making this jump to to low a from from uh you know from high school ball and then the gcl and then coming straight here i I think the biggest thing that that i've really grown up with this year is just you know being a pitcher versus a thrower um you know in in high school and uh you know you just you can kind of just you know if you throw decently hard you can you can just blow it by guys and I, I feel like uh you know getting into pro ball and especially getting to low against some, some really good competition you you really learn how to pitch versus uh just up there throwing it over the plate and uh, I think that's something that that I've improved on a lot is just being able to uh <laughs> being able to actually you know uh just pitch and keep hitters off balance and and doing it the right way and uh you know kind of trying to uh learn the mental side of the game and uh, it also helps to have a, a really good defense behind you in low a versus versus high school <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure uh but it also in terms of you know just getting it past guys like you said being a pitcher more how do you feel like your your pitches have developed because you know you were kind of a low 90s guy coming out of high school uh you know people have talked up your curveball and your changeup as well but uh how do you feel like your pitches have kind of taken shape you know, as you've gotten that taste of full season ball? Uh, you know, I think uh, I think my fastball command, uh, especially later on in the year, uh, especially like this past month and a half or so, uh, you know, my fastball command has really picked up. And I think that just goes hand in hand with uh, the, 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 the rhythm, getting in the rhythm of your body, just being all together and, and flowing. Um, so my fastball command has, has picked up a little bit and I hope to continue to pr- improve on that. And uh, you know my my curveball was was one of my best pitches, and I uh, I kind of lost it when I came to pro ball. Um, don't really know why, uh, if it was the seams on the ball or what. But I uh, you know here lately, I've start I've started to really get my breaking stuff back, and uh, I think that's been huge for me. And and I didn't throw a lot of changeups in high school, but now my changeup is uh, one of my favorite pitches, especially against right-handed batters, and I think that's also been huge for me. But uh, just getting in the rhythm of uh, you know being able to throw my curveball and slider again has has helped me out a lot as well. And uh, you you mentioned your time in the GCL before uh, wasn't exactly a memorable time for you. 
uh, coming out of pro or you know coming out of high school ball, your first taste of pro ball. You made five starts last year, uh, walked ten batters in ten and the third innings. Uh, like you said, maybe the ball was a little different, but what did that do for you going into that off season? You know, knowing you know getting that little little taste of humble pie and, and realizing there were some things that weren't going to work from high school ball to to the pros. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely something you, uh, I feel like, you know, every, 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 everybody goes through, um, you know, coming from even college to pro ball or high school to pro ball, everybody that, you know, when they, when you get your feet wet, you, you figure out a lot about yourself and, and you figure out a lot about pro ball as well. Just, you know, just realizing that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not going to be easy. You know, you gotta, uh, you know, you really gotta work for it, but I think it, uh, you know, I think. I think it was huge. Um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't take it back for anything to be able to have that because, you know, you go you go back and you look at that and and the off season I'm thinking, wow, you know, is that what I that what I, is that what I want to do again next year? And and it really just you know pushes you to get better and and stronger and and everything like that. So I, I think it was a uh, you know, a big part of my uh, like my steps to getting better. So I uh, I really uh, think it was helpful. And you know you you have been a professional pitcher now for like 13 months I think officially. Uh, what has been the most surprising aspect of minor league baseball, of being a pro, of going through an off season, whatever? Uh, what has surprised you the most that you wish you had known when you were first drafted? Um, I think one of the one of the best things of well maybe not the best things of. Minor leagues, I think one of the biggest surprises is uh, the bus rides for sure. You know, <laughs> that was a, uh, I, I'd always heard stories of how bad it was, but you know, these, uh, the Sally League bus rides from Maryland, uh, they're not, they're not too fun. So, uh, that, that's probably one of the, you know, the biggest changes is, uh, you know, 13 hour bus rides and things like that. But, um, other than that, I mean, you know, as far as on the field, it's, uh, you know, a huge surprise is it was not really a surprise. I expected it, but uh, it's a huge change is just how how good everyone is on the field. Um, you know, just seeing one through nine in the lineup be be really good players. Yeah, well, those bus rides aren't going to get any easier as you get closer to like the Eastern League and you're going from Portland, Maine yeah. down to to Boone, <laughs> Maryland. I'll tell you that much. But uh, yeah. But also, one reason I wanted to bring you on the show this week is obviously it's a big week for the Orioles system. Uh, they traded Manny Machado last week. They bring in a bunch of prospects. Traded, traded Zach Britton uh, last night. They bring in a bunch of prospects from the Yankees. Uh, what kind of trickle-down effect does that kind of have on you guys at the lower levels? How much are you guys talking about how the organization is trying to improve the farm system right now and how that kind of affects all of your individual chances, you know, as you move up within a system that is trying to rebuild right now? Uh, you know, I think it's, uh, in my opinion, I, you know, I, I try not to, from my own personal, um, you know, standpoint, I, I try not to worry about it too much. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure guys talk about it, you know, that we have gotten all these prospects and things like that. And there's always the thought in the back of your head, like, wow, we got another left-handed pitcher you know, that could hurt me, but, and I'm sure, you know, that goes through everyone's head, but I feel like, you know, the, uh, you know, our teammates and things, you know, we've gotten a lot of double and triple A guys, um, in those trades. And, but I feel like it's something that, you know, it's in the back of your mind, but it's not really something that you need to worry about. I think you just, you focus on your development and getting better and things will fall into place. And I, I truly believe that, you know, that's the case if you just, focus on yourself and uh yourself getting better then uh, you know everything will go the way it's supposed to yeah for sure and, and you know what do you feel like is the biggest thing you need to do to kind of place yourself you know firmly i mean obviously they invested money in you they invested a first round pick in you last year uh they obviously believe a lot in you and the, the results bear that as well but uh, what do you feel like you need to do here in the last couple months, the last couple starts, uh, to really like solidify yourself and, and be prepared to make an even bigger jump in 2019? Um, you know, I think uh, I think what would be huge for me is just uh, to uh, keep the ball rolling. Um, you know, just keep trying to uh, continue to get better each and every start off of uh, off of what I've been doing the past uh, couple starts. Just uh, continue to um, work on things and 
and try to get even better and better every start until the end of the year and and just finish out strong. I think I think the the finish of the season, the next couple, the last couple of starts will be the, the biggest ones of the year as far as um, you know, kind of putting my name out there, um, like set it, you know, trying to set it in stone for, for coming up uh, next year. Uh, I think the last few, just how I finish is going to be the biggest part. So just trying to keep it strong and keep it rolling for these last couple starts will be the biggest part. Yeah, and as part of what you've done recently in terms of getting it rolling to where you are is the the strikeout numbers have, have gone up pretty incredibly the last couple of starts. Uh, you struck out 25 batters over your last th- three outings combined, but your last one, you struck out 10 in six innings. Uh, I know that feels a while ago now. That was July 16th, so that was nine days ago. But uh, is that sort of been a goal for you this year? And uh, you know, with everything we talked about, about how your pitches have developed, how much are you aiming to kind of increase your strikeout numbers as you get more comfortable in the Sally League? Um, you know, believe it or not, that's not, it wasn't really a goal from, um, you know, for myself to, to increase the strikeout numbers. I actually, you know, me and my pitching coach, uh, my biggest thing uh, after, you know, the first couple months of the season, you know, they kind of just left me alone, let me pitch. And, and uh, you know, I I was throwing, I was getting later in counts and, and things like that. And, and I finally started to realize, like, you know, I just got to trust my stuff. And, and I think that's what's really changed my last few outings is I've just been trusting my stuff and uh, just throwing to the glove and, and not giving the hitters too much credit. And and a big thing that me and my pitching coach talked about was just, uh, you know, four pitches or less to each batter. And then you're trying to work it down to three pitches or less. And, and if you focus on that and just throwing to the glove and trying to get those outs, then the strikeouts uh, will come. And, and I've really seen that actually happen in my last few starts, just trying to throw to the glove, not trying to overpower anybody, and just letting my stuff do the work. And, and it's helped me out a lot in increasing my strikeouts. Yeah, and one thing that they've done with you too recently is started to let you go deeper into games. You know, like I said, you went six innings last time, you went six innings before that. Uh, there were times going back in April, they were only letting you go two, three innings at a time. Um, obviously, part of that's part of the plan coming into this being your first full season but uh, how did they kind of explain that to you coming in that listen we're going to take it really easy with you in the beginning and we'll kind of let you build up to this uh, how what was the Orioles kind of plan that they discussed with you back in the spring uh, coming into the season well I mean you know they kind of told me from the get-go that I was it, once once they told me that I was starting with a full season team they said you know it's a long season um, you know we're not going to we're not going to go out there and burn you out in your first year. We're going to put you on the innings limit. They told me, uh, you know, they told me that. They said, you know, you have a set amount of innings and, and we're going to spread you out um, throughout the year. Uh, we're going to spread those innings out um, just for the full season and try and save you so that you can throw the whole season and not get cut short um, throughout the season. So, you know, they, they told me from the very beginning that my first couple outings would be three, three innings. Um, and then they said, you know, you'll work into four and five innings and sometimes six. And and then, uh, you know, it'll just kind of uh, go from there. And uh, I think now now that I'm getting later in the season, it'll go back to, uh, you know, just kind of trickling in a, a five-inning start maybe. And then uh, most of the other times being a uh, three- or four-inning start. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that they said there would be an innings limit for you. You're at 66 and a third right now. Uh, did they share you any with you any specific number before the season started? Uh, yeah, they're trying to keep me, uh, you know, at 100 innings. Um, that's that's kind of my that's their plan for me is to keep me at 100 innings. Gotcha. All right. Well, that seems reachable, and with about six weeks left here to go, uh, just one 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 to leave you on kind of deal deal. Um, you know, like we mentioned before, with the way the the Orioles are kind of rebuilding this week and. I know you said like you're not too worried about your place in it, uh, but what kind of excitement does come from being a younger player, knowing that like this team is is starting to really heavily invest in its future, and you know they expect you or they hope you could be a big part of that future, you know, two three years down the line, as Baltimore continues to add young talent to the system. You know, I think it's huge. Uh, I'm super excited about it. Um, it, it's definitely exciting to see that you know that they are trying to rebuild and, and get some younger talent in there. It's uh, I think it's going to be you know huge for them and you know I, 
I uh, truly believe in uh, and trust in the uh, organization that you know they're going to do whatever it takes to uh, you know get the get the big league team back rolling again. And and uh, I think it's uh, you know, I think it's awesome that they're trying to get the young talent in there. So hopefully that uh, you know that kind of circulates through the whole minor league system. And uh, you know we start to get some guys rolling and uh, get the O's team back on top. Yeah, and and one cool thing about the Orioles system that is really unique to it is that Delmarva, Frederick, Bowie, you know, even Aberdeen, which you skipped over, but Norfolk, all the stops are within the Baltimore area. They're all pretty close by. What have you kind of learned about, you know, Maryland life and, and, you know, something that you're going to have to keep carrying with you every stop the rest of the way? Uh, I think one of the biggest things is probably just like uh, crab cake. <laughs> you know, <they're, laughs> had you had one before this year, or so, did, did it did it take yeah, some time? I, yeah, I have. I enjoy them. I actually like them a lot. So uh, you know, I think that's one thing that that I'll be eating for a little while, hopefully. <laughs> well, there you go. That's one way to win over Baltimore fans for sure. Well. <laughs> This has been uh, D.L. Hall, 19-year-old left-hander in the Orioles system, really enjoying a solid first year in the South Atlantic League. Uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing where you can, what you can do the rest of the way in 2018 and beyond. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, D.L. Yes, sir. Appreciate you for having me. Thank you. God bless. Benjamin Hill back from the latest road trip in which you got to see the widest swath of minor league baseball environments, I think, imaginable, Ben. Howdy. How was the how was the rest of the trip? Hey, guys. It was good. Uh, it's strange to be back in New York. I still feel kind of loopy, but Sam and I are in this gigantic conference room. Yeah, which feels like where villains gather to or you know to get to discuss their evil plans and all that it's kind like of a, stuff it's like a with a big boardroom table one of those yes. yeah no there there are dozens of chairs here <laughs> yeah we could fit in like and there are just two of us obviously yeah. there are two flat screen tvs next to each other wow with so, a, with a camera underneath them yeah we're being monitored as we speak right yeah. now. Oh, yeah, we're being judged for having rented out this room for the next hour, but that's fine. <laughs> what are those two needed for? What do you need this gigantic room for? Um, well, Ben is back uh, just one week ago. Ben was uh, taking in a, a game at BB&T Ballpark in Charlotte, which is one of the, the real gems of minor league baseball. And then a few nights later was in the home of the Bristol Pirates in the Appalachian League, and they kind of build themselves as being baseball, how it should be, the, the roots of the game, and uh, a very basic um, – display of baseball in an old school ballpark in a small town you really got to go from kind of the biggest big league field to the smallest small time old school minor league baseball field over the span of like four days that's kind of cool yeah absolutely yeah last week as you mentioned i talked to you from a hotel room in charlotte so this is a trip that we're talking about started back on friday july 13th you know with the florida fire frogs and then from there you know that's in Kissimmee, and then from there to daytona for the tatugas then the jumbo shrimp then uh the new ballpark in Augusta, and then uh, Charlotte, and then bam, that's the last time I talked to you. And then from there, saw the Charlotte Knights game, Asheville, uh, they suited up as the Hippies on Thursday night, um, went from there back to the Appy League and saw a game in Johnson City, and then finally in Bristol. So this trip was the biggest one of the year, and a lot, a lot of uh, unique baseball environments. And yeah, Tyler, as you mentioned, uh, to go from a place uh, like Charlotte, which is you know, almost a major league market in terms of the size of the city uh, and end in Bristol, Virginia, where they don't have a full time employee. And uh, you're playing on a field that's kind of like a almost reminds you of American Legion or a traveling tournament type of field. And, and not in a bad way, just uh, in how down home it is. Uh, you know, this is minor league baseball and this is why I keep doing it, because there's so many different places to explore. And uh, so one of the stops you made, like you said, was in Asheville. Uh, you were there for, was it Hippies Night? Or was it, what was the official designation? Yeah, I mean, a Hippies Night, they played as the Hippies. Um, you know, they're usually the tourists, but on this uh, Thursday evening, they wore tie-dye uniforms and they were called the Hippies. Uh, the Hippies name is, goes back to a, I think last season or maybe two seasons ago, you know, there was some Twitter banter between Asheville and Greenville and uh, some insults being thrown back and forth and Greenville insulted or thought they were insulting Asheville on Twitter by calling them the hippies. And then Asheville just, you know, adopted the name. So they are literally now suiting up as an alternate identity that stemmed through a Twitter beef with a South Atlantic league rival. Um, so there you go in minor league baseball, but it was a good night to be at the ballpark. Um, 
in addition to the tie dye uniforms, it was Thirsty Thursday. And as I'm sure I've mentioned on this show before, right. uh, the tourists are the originators of Thirsty Thursday. Uh, so always cool to see uh, Thirsty Thursday in its purest form. Um, what is Thirsty Thursday in its purest form? Well, I guess in this case, I just mean the, the team that originated it. Um, but I think in its purest form, it is, uh, you know, $1 beer in small cups, um, you know, directly out of kegs that are purchased just for, you know, Thirsty Thursday at a separate uh, kiosk or a separate uh, stand on a card table somewhere down the, the left field line or whatever have you. I think purity can come in many forms. No, is it what can. I'm saying. No, that's fine. I just wanted to know how you defined it. That's yeah, all. yeah. So that was Thursday night, and uh, it was a lot of fun in Asheville. Um, you know, one of the things I did in Asheville this year, which I should have done last time, I just didn't think of it, is, you know, this is a um, ballpark, McCormick Field, that is, you know, kind of hollowed out of uh, a very woodsy area uh, with a lot of vegetation and elevation around it. And there is a youth soccer field, the cross field, uh, directly behind the ballpark in a public city park. So I went up there during the game and went up onto the bleachers in this uh, you know, youth lacrosse field. There's a lacrosse game going on, but if you climb to the top of the bleachers at this field, which overlooks McCormick Field, you can get this incredible view of the game going on, uh, this minor league baseball game from this uh, elevated vantage point, and it's just uh, such a cool place to watch a game. I also was reminded of the fact that um, – you know, this, the vegetation overlooking the outfield in McCormick Field, you know, there's a very steep hill and it gets pretty wild and wooly. The team actually hired a company that specializes in, quote, goatscaping to clean the vegetation. You literally bring a company that has goats who come and eat away the vegetation because that's like the only way to clean it or to, uh, to you know, really uh, clear it out. So if you ever go to McCormick Field, just remember they hired goatscapers. That's pretty impressive. I would not even in 2018 society, I wouldn't even think that there was somebody still thinking, you know, the best way to do this, just get a whole bunch of goats. It's not, you know, there's no machines, nothing. It's all goats. Yeah. And I love that, you know, as, as, as uh, high tech as we get, as advanced as virtual, you know, sometimes there are jobs that you just have to go back to your roots as an agrarian society and just get some goats. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, Johnson City and Bristol, two Appy League stops, Ben, which are um, very different feels from especially what you saw in Charlotte, but even some of the other trips uh, this season, Jacksonville and Fort Wayne and uh, some of these other ballparks that have really um, kind of put themselves on the map in minor league baseball. What was it like touring through a, a couple of rookie-level Appy League stops? Well, you know, I did um... – an I did a trip two years ago that was the entirety of the Appy League, right. uh, all 10 teams. And so this these stops this time around was because uh, Johnson City was rained out um, when I went two years ago. And I actually stayed in Johnson City for all five or for the first five nights of the trip because the teams around that division are so clustered together. So there was the irony of spending all this time in Johnson City and not seeing a game. So once I made it back to the region, I said, OK, you know, Johnson City, rain out, redemption. Um, you know, that's a like all the ballparks in the Appy League, it's a small environment. Um, I think that front office, um, you know, general manager Zach Clark, uh, who had been the AGM two years ago uh, when I was there, um, I think he and the front office are doing creative things in an Appy League environment, you know, trying to get rid of bleacher seating, trying to create group areas, trying to, as much as possible, even within a small environment, uh, create areas to move around and make it a, a, a just a place where you're not just sitting on a, you know, old decades old bleachers uh, because, you know, the name of the game in minor league baseball has changed. So they have Jenga, they have Jenga and cornhole set up, um, you know, down the left field line, a perch uh, group area, um, you know, just, you know, they tweaked the logo the last couple of years. So there's a lot of energy in Johnson city um, that, that is cool to see. And, and the town itself as well. I, I think the, the um, proactive way in which the ball club is being run is also a reflection of the proactive way uh, that Johnson city's uh, downtown is developing. And it's a really cool place to go. Uh, if you ever get the chance to check it out. And then the trip was going to end there, but then I ended up going to Bristol on Saturday night, uh, twofold. Del Murphy was there. And, you know, when you have the chance to talk to Del Murphy, why not? Um, you know, I grew up, a Phillies fan 
but you know, he played for the Phillies in the nineties and I was a fan of him in the early nineties and, you know, just an icon of eighties baseball and a nice, nice guy. So you can check my Twitter. I have some stuff with Dale and I'll probably have a lot more from him, uh, in the, in the very near future. And also, uh, governor Ralph Northam was there, uh, as part of his, um, summer of baseball. He's visiting all nine minor league teams in the state of Virginia. Uh, so I got a chance to talk to him as well. And he and the speaker of the house, Kirk Cox were there throwing out first pitch, pitches making friendly wagers uh but i do think that is a really cool thing um you know for a politician to do especially one who's representing an entire state is you know go to all the ballparks in your state uh virginia is a particularly fertile place for that but i do think it's a great way to see the state interact with the people of the state um and it's kind of just an extension of what i've always always been saying uh, about what I do with my job is, you know, exploring America through minor league baseball or explore your state through minor league baseball. And, uh, you know, each place is a reflection of, uh, the community in which it operates. So go for it. You know, that's a thumbs up to governor Ralph Northam for, uh, going to see all these different ballparks. And, uh, there he was in Bristol on Saturday night alongside Dale Murphy, who would have thunk it. Yeah. And how do you feel like Bristol handled it? Cause like you said, this is a club that doesn't have a full-time employee. Now all of a sudden they're bringing the governor of their state in. And not to put Dale Murphy on the same level, but like they're two big promotions in one night and it's a Saturday night, lots going on. You know, what are the kind of inner workings on, on a night like that when they don't have, you know, these bigger front offices? Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy night in Bristol. I got there, you know, about four, about three hours before the game started, and there were already fans lined up to see Dale Murphy. Um, that had been done in as part of a partnership with a Toyota of Kingsport, who I think sponsored the event and um, brought Dale Murphy to the ballpark. So my contact uh, in terms of trying to d- uh, interview Dale Murphy was actually a guy who worked for the car dealership. <laughs> um, you know, it's just kind of how they set it up. But um, you know, but they know what they're doing. Even though they don't have full-time employees, they've you know dedicated volunteers have been running the show there for uh, for quite some time. And uh, and then the governor, you know, there was a rain delay, and the game didn't start till about after eight. The governor and his entourage, and he did have an entourage, didn't come until a little after seven. Um, then there's really no external like you know facility at this ballpark except the press box and a little auxiliary room, um, you know, attached to the press box, and it kind of reminds you of like a camp. You know, being a camp and uh, being in a, a cabin at a camp is the kind of environment you have at Bristol. So there were about 25 people in this room just off to the press box, including the governor, the speaker of the house, Dale Murphy, um, these Toyota Kingsport uh, high rollers, uh, various part-time employers with the uh, employees with the Bristol Pirates, uh, other members of the media, et cetera, et cetera, all in this uh, cramped, hot uh, room that, again, basically reminds you of a camp cabin. So it was kind of a funny thing to see but the weather clean cleared up all the fr- first pitches got thrown um you know good crowd and attendance and then the game went extra innings and past midnight and whew, what a long day in minor league baseball <laughs> appalachian league style ben what's up next on uh, what do you have left on the road trip tickets this year uh august will be uh you know just more uh, smaller trips close to you know where i'm based here in new york city gonna actually hit the two new york city teams in uh in a matter of weeks uh, i got brooklyn cyclones on the schedule august 8th the staten island yankees august 10th uh then the following week i'm going to go to williamsport for a major league game see the little league classic between the mets and the phillies but you know played at an historic minor league ballpark also throwing the state college spikes uh into that weekend itinerary i believe that's august 19th and 20th and uh then going to see the Aberdeen Steam Crabs on August 24th. So uh, three mini trips throughout August. And, of course, I got a lot, lot, a lot more to write from uh, this recent jaunt through the southeast. I've just got so much to write. I don't even know where to begin. So um, my strategy is to not do anything, and it's working really well. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll just magically happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it'll all work out. Still getting my bearings after such a long time on the road, but it's good to be back in this uh, gigantic conference room next to uh, my friend Sam Dykster, who is sitting to my left. Left, At, okay. Yes, left. left. Yeah. And wearing a Vermont Maple Kings cap. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Sam and yeah. I were were uh, texting about this, uh, or I guess messaging on Instagram about this, because Sam now has a Greenbow Biscuits hat. Um, and has the Maple Kings hat. So he's got, as he put it on Instagram, like two-thirds of a full breakfast now. And Sam and I were saying it's kind of surprising that no team has done anything coffee-related for uh, any of the food. Like, you would think Tacoma, what are you doing out there? The whole You're, like, right next door to Seattle. Do something coffee-related. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And you can see some coffee logos with yeah. the eyes bugging right out of a mug well, or whatever the, the case may be. The idea we came up with was... You came up with it because it was too good of an... I don't want to take any credit for it. It was good. Oh, idea. I didn't know if you came up with the, the name, but I came up with the logo. Uh, was the Roasters. The Tacoma Roasters. And then it's a rooster with a mug. <laughs> like you can no, see like it so clearly in your brain now like every, all of you at home know exactly what i'm thinking about dressed up as and, like a 1950s diner waiter oh yeah totally yeah, yeah. And, you know it's That's got some Tacoma. The, the the patterns on it you know like maybe wearing an apron something like that it, 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 so many possibilities here. you walk in and you order that cup of coffee and he says what's got you down you know, one of those things. <laughs> one of those things. What That's kind of diner experience I don't know why, have you had? I don't know why he would have that accent in Tacoma, Washington. But uh, now now you have our idea, Tacoma. Dude, we yeah. just require hats. That's all we require on this podcast. Right. That's it. Wow, I look uh, ben, what, else is, what else is up on the site? What else is coming up to the site? Uh, well, there's the road stories that I mentioned. Got stuff up already from Jacksonville. I got stuff up from Charlotte about uh, their clubby who got his head shaved for um, – to benefit verse cancer got a story on the virginia governor coming soon already have a story written about uh, from last week you know about the daytona tortugas uh big lebowski promotion big shellbowski so i'm just jumping back and forth between the past and the present and the future talking about things i've written things things that uh, i will write um so there is a lot more to come and once i get a little bit time to clear my head i'm also going to look at just upcoming promos uh in the world at large because i don't want to sleep too much on that there's been a lot of great things announced and uh you know we'll be back uh, very soon to talk about things not just related to my own personal experiences, but about this wide-ranging industry in general. It is indeed a very widespread one. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, thanks, Ben. Enjoy tackling all the uh, the remaining stuff road trip uh, categorizing-wise, I guess. There's so many different things that when you have all of these still in front of you, I would imagine there's like things that you have coming up on trips that you want to cover that maybe you've already done in past trips. Like do you reserve certain topics like food wise, every ballpark obviously has its own signature food, but like you can't write about that at every single park. Do you kind of pick out when you have one on the docket? Like, all right, I'm going to reserve X for when I'm in Brooklyn or this for when I'm at, you know, wherever Williamsport. A little bit. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, with food, I just try to find whatever is unique to that ballpark and recruit the designated eater. But in general, sometimes there is saying like, OK, this topic, I need to reserve it for this place. But I think in in general, I'm OK with a little overlap uh, as long as I can highlight what makes it unique to that park, whether it food be it food or otherwise. And if it's a little repetitive, you know, I write so much. Hopefully, uh, you know, people won't even realize because uh, – you know, they, they might not have read the other thing I wrote. I think I used to worry more about, oh, people aren't going to like this article because I wrote this article. And then you realize, like, most people aren't reading everything you write, so you just pretend you have a new audience every time you write something and uh, go from there. But that's been my strategy, at least. That works. Enjoy, Ben. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Wrapping up our last pre-trade deadline episode of the Show Before the Show podcast in 2018 and uh, another full-packed weekend on MILB.TV. Sam, what are you watching this weekend? Yeah, so uh, the Bowie Bay Sox, who we talked about earlier, you know, added using El Diaz, uh, already have Ryan Mountcastle, so that's going to be a really fun lineup. Uh, they'll be traveling to the Harrisburg Senators this weekend, uh, who also have a, another Futures Gamer in Carter Keyboom. Um, so that that should be a pretty fun matchup in terms of uh, you know infielders, outfielders, no matter what, there's going to be a pretty solid hitting prospect on the field uh, this weekend when Bowie travels to Harrisburg. So I'll be watching that just to see how Diaz looks in a you know Orioles uniform, I guess, going into what will be his second week in the system. Uh, should be a lot of fun. What are you keeping your eye on, Tyler? Well, it's not the uh, the best of MILB.TV feeds, but uh, in Las Vegas coming up this weekend, the uh, AAA Memphis Redbirds will be there, and Tyler O'Neill, the second-ranked prospect in the St. Louis Cardinals organization, has been crushing the ball nonstop as of late. Uh, he had his 14th multi-homer game of the season last night on Tuesday night of this week. He had three homers on Monday. Um, he has just been obliterating things all over the park. So uh, Las Vegas sometimes can be a little bit tricky watch, but uh, Tyler O'Neill is is definitely worth uh, flipping it on and watching some late night baseball. So that is a, a 9.05 start time, um, actually in a wraparound series from Friday through Monday. 
for the uh, Redbirds on the road in Las Vegas. You can catch that at MILB.TV as well. And uh, with that, we'll wrap things up on this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Keep it locked on MILB.com. We'll have everything uh, from now until the trade deadline. We'll run you through all the biggest deals and the most impactful stuff. We've got our trade tracker there and all that. And uh, we'll be here to break it all down next week. And uh, until then, enjoy maybe the last week of watching some prospects in certain locations. And uh, we'll talk to you next week to tell you all about it when we return for episode 171 of the show before the show from MILB.com. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.